that blend is what I think prevents burnout. But if you don't take the time to recharge and re-energize yourself, it's really hard and find ways to create that support system, to create delegation. And the other thing I always said to my people is never leave a vacation day on the table. And it's amazing to me, even in the U.S. with people with limited vacation, they don't take the time. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What is your team culture like? What is your leadership style? How do you make decisions? These are all questions my client was recently asked. These questions came from different people, their current team, people who they were interviewing, who wanted to work for them, even their mentee. They all wanted to know, what's it like to work for you, to learn from you? And when I started working with this client, they had some generic answers that they could speak to each of these questions, but sometimes they weren't as confident in their answers as they'd like to be. Now they're able to confidently describe with examples, the cultures of their team their leadership style and how they make decisions aligned to what's important to them by describing their values, how they model those values and how they reward and recognize those behaviors. Can you answer those questions for yourself? Let's dig into these together. Join us in the catch crew, a place to grow your career intentionally, to get the skills to intentionally grow your career and your teams through your own leadership. When you join, you get instant access to team building tools, including values first, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, values first. You get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. That's the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. Welcome to the, you belong in the C-suite podcast. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Barry Rafferty. Barry is the interim CEO at C200. She has held roles as global head of communications and brand management at Wells Fargo, global CEO of Ketchum, and has a history of driving value for businesses, brands, stakeholders, communities, and teams. She's a strong consultant and change agent known for working with executive teams to modernize offerings enhance sales, create global transformation, deliver consistent brand experience, and effectively streamline organizations for effectiveness. She's an equal parts right brain and left brain thinker who leverages insights, data, and technology to develop effective creative that is engaging in a crowded marketplace. She leverages the marketing and communications ecosystem to personalize communications, creating efficiency and measurable outcomes. She's also a talent magnet 
and inspiring collaborative leader with a track record of building next generation leaders by marrying empathy and accountability to create learning environments. She's a devoted advocate of diversity, equity, and inclusion in her personal and professional life, and a leader who possesses exceptional interpersonal skills with a demonstrated ability to communicate findings, win supporters, and move people and organizations to action. And it seems fitting that this interview was recorded in Women's History Month. I loved my conversation with Barry because we were able to cover a ton of different topics. In these episodes, these guest episodes, I don't want to just talk about these broader concepts of leadership or women in the workplace. I also want to give real examples of women in big roles. What obstacles have they had to overcome? What experiences can we share? um, Can they share that we can learn from? And today's episode covers both the broader topics that you can learn from, but it also covers specifics about Barry's personal experience. We talked about the current state of women in the C-suite from the recent Women in America CEO report, the fact that we are making progress and getting more women in top leadership roles, even though it is very slow progress. She also shared her point of view on what a growth culture is and how she created one as a CEO. She shared multiple experiences of tensions that she's experienced being the first woman in a a big leadership role. And in our conversation, we also talked about the importance of peer support, especially in higher level roles. I know that you'll enjoy this episode. Let me know what you love most about it. Let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm just really excited that we're here in connection together. And I just want to, I'm excited to get to know you. So I'd love to just ask you a little bit more about yourself. Can you tell us a bit more about your career story? Sure. So I grew up mostly on the agency side early on. I dabbled a little corporate, little agency and landed my career spending a good amount of time at boutique agencies like Lippy Taylor and Cone Communications and then Burson Marsteller and Ketchum is where I spent the majority of my career. I think I'm on the career wheel there um, going through every kind of job you could imagine. I started in the South um, running our Atlanta office was the first P&L I ran and then Atlanta and Dallas where you're based and then took over the New York office, um, which really, I think, helped define my career. I doubled the size of that office, and it really helped me take kind of the things I'd learned running smaller P&Ls and apply them, and was a great opportunity for me to really define what a growth culture meant and empowering and building my own team, and ultimately became the head of North America and then the global CEO. And I was the first female CEO of a top 10 communications consultancy um, at the time. And, you know, it's interesting. I I look back and I remember thinking, I didn't even want them to announce that, that I was the first woman. Like I was like, I want it on my mind. And they were like, but it's so important for women. And it was a turning point for me, really thinking about how do you be a role model and bring up people and really support women in that process. And so that was, I think, an important phase in my career and then went to Wells Fargo to be head of brand marketing and communications and a turnaround for taking an iconic brand that had really been reputationally damaged and helping rebuild it. 
and now am working as the CEO of C200, a nonprofit that really helps to inspire, educate, and support and advance women entrepreneurs and corporate leaders to build their companies larger and to become members of the C-suite. So it's great to be here today. So much of what I, what you just said, what I heard, um, I want to dig into a little bit more. I heard a couple of things. I want to know more about um, this growth culture that you described at Ketchum and what, what is that, what did that look like to you? And what did that look like as you built the company? But I'm all, I'm guessing also the people as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, when you're in the C-suite and particularly if you're working for a public company, it's growth quarter by quarter, and there's a lot of emphasis on those numbers. And so what I found as a CEO is finding the right talent with the right mindset and the right focus on growth is really what takes the kind of, I'll call it the off the numbers and onto the work, right? And so we did a lot of work in understanding what is going to drive growth, where should we be spending our time? How do we motivate people um, to be excited about growth? And that's through rewards and recognition, um, both financial and in your culture. You know, are you celebrating the small wins and the steps along the way to get there? Um, and are you really focusing people and giving them the tools that make it easier? We were an agency. We were recreating the wheel all the time. We didn't have good shared resources or templates or things to make it easier for people to even respond to RFPs in some basic ways that when we really put our thinking to it, we were able to optimize and create like 70% of it. You could pull off the shelf and the other 30%, you really had to add the creative touches and customize. So a lot of those things helped the workflow process as well and made it easier for people to be successful. So I think you have to look at that growth culture mentality in the mindset of your people, your attitude and tone, your way to celebrate and reward, and then your way to also make sure you optimize to put the time into the strategy and thinking and create the basics and table stakes, make them easier to do. I love it. Thank you so much for that added context. And I think you're right. It's this idea of, it's not just the numbers, hit the numbers, it's the mindset is just so important. Yeah. And you can see when cultures and teams aren't rowing together and they're stressed out and the numbers aren't coming and you just start to see that spiral. People get frustrated. They're pointing fingers. And when you're all in it together and there's that mentality of, you know, yes, we've had a setback because sometimes you have losses, but we can get on the front foot and you build that confidence in each other. And in the culture, you just see there's a different flow and a rhythm to getting back on the front foot. Yeah, absolutely. I want to I want to dig into another thing that you mentioned in your intro. Um this idea of um you being the first woman. It seems like there's an internal conflict there of like the announcement like it was based on your own merit. So what was that what did that tension feel like in being called out as the first woman? Did that feel like it detracted from your merit? Like ha- tell me more about that. Yeah, so I think it did at first. I was like, why does that have to be in the headline? You know, I just, I felt like it detracted. And then after having discussions and once it was announced, what I think I realized, and I've been through a couple of things. I went to the World Economic Forum and was, you know, one of, you know, small percent of like 13% women the first year I went and people asked me whose wife I was. And I was like infuriated, right? Like you're there on your merit. So I think there's this, you know, still dichotomy, right? Women are still struggling to be in those top roles and be looked at for just 
what they've accomplished in their career and not for being a woman. And I think that when we get to equity, that's going to be the case, but we're not there yet. And so as women, we do have to be role models. We have to make sure we're using our positions to help advance other women, to help bring people into the C-suite or help them you know, get better funding and startup and money. I mean, there's just so much inequity in the system still to this day that I hoped in my career I'd see it dissipate more, but it's slow, right? Very slow. <laughs> we can talk about that a bit. It's it's creeping up. It's the some of the statistics are getting a little bit better. And before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about it. But like some of these, the numbers we'll t- we'll dig into a, a little bit more later. But just these um, being in the room, sometimes the only woman, right? Oftentimes, I love that you just mentioned this idea of whose spouse are you? Who's your husband or who's your partner? That's why you are in this room, right? Like probably countless stories. Um, and that's just one of them. Almost like that was not my ticket to entry, right? And so as we try and get more women in these roles, Hopefully we're showing them what it could be. And you're one of those examples of you were, you were that 13%. I don't know. I can't remember what the, what the um, world economic forum numbers now are. I saw it recently, but it hasn't gotten that much better either. 20 now maybe, but if you send five people, you have to send a woman now to try to shift the numbers, which I mean, good. I, I give them credit for helping to sh- make the shift and force the shift in a lot of ways that you have to pick senior women to come to the conference with you. Yeah. And sometimes it's those systemic roles that will help lots of people, women, people of color, all marginalized individuals. But let's dig into some of the numbers a little bit. I know that in your current role at C200, you are all part of this Women in America CEO report that recently came out. Can you tell us a little bit about that partnership and the data? So we work with the business women's business collaborative and it's been catalyst and others. And, you know, we're all working. The thing I love about this is we're all working to get more women into the C-suite. We have training programs at C200 called See Ahead. We also have programs for entrepreneurs called Protege and Champion to get them to have companies now of 20 million or more. And, um, you know, you look at the numbers, um, the Fortune 500, you know, CEOs, we've just kind of at eight to 10% is where women have landed the last few years. And it's really the number goes a little up and a little back, depending on if one or two are in there or not. But if you think about, you know, someone said to me 34 years ago, I could not even get a loan for my business without a male co-signer, right? So, I mean, there's this period where we've, you know, in some ways we feel like we've come a long way and in some ways we feel like it's really slow as you and I talked about. So we've got to make sure we're making room and really looking at succession planning, um, making sure women of all, you know, diverse are in that pipeline, all kinds of diversity um, and are being trained to come up to those levels. We also have a lot more women starting companies, and yet, you know, 1.9% of VC funding in 2022, um, according to the PitchBook data, went to women companies. So how do we also help women get more funding, Um, and whether that's, you know, in all different ways? I think that, you know, what we're looking at is 
the women are in the workforce. We know we lost women during COVID, but they're in the workforce. They're now in the pipeline. And the question is, how do we make sure they get to the top of these companies, whether it's something they want to start or something they want to run and get promoted internally? Yeah, I, I think you gave a really great landscape of kind of where we are right now. And so as you, in your own role um, as CEO of C200, um, you mentioned briefly a couple of the things that you're doing with your members. Can you tell us just a little bit more about your organization and then how you equip the women that you serve through that organization to do the things that you just mentioned, succession planning, um, sponsorship, all of those kinds of things? Well, and C200 operates in two ways, because one, it is a membership organization made up of senior corporate and entrepreneurial leaders supporting each other, right? Lifting each other up, being each other's advisory board, helping each other network to find positions, whether that's corporate um, entrepreneur, helping them get the funding things they need, or also board positions. You know, we work a lot. We mentioned earlier boards. Um, to get more women onto boards and have a big board program as well. But the other thing we're doing, the three programs we have in See Ahead, Protege, and Champions are working with outside trainers and our members through coaching and training and having that access to members that have actually built companies or run companies to help you know advance women worldwide. And it really is, we look at it as changing the face of business one woman at a time, right? It's you just have to kind of focus and help individuals reach their personal goals. And I think that's what we try to do is to use our member network to do that and then reach out behind and help more women get lifted up. And, you know, sometimes I, I think it's like hand-to-hand combat, if you will. You know, it's small numbers, but that's what it's taking to make that shift is investing in individuals. Yeah. And then at their level, when you're investing in the individual, they're then turning around and investing in their direct reports in their companies, especially at women at that level, right? They have the ripple effect is huge. The ripple effect. And it's the ability when you're in the C-suite to look back and look at pay equity. I mean, this year we just, March 14th, reached pay equity, right? For men from last year. So, you know, we're holding ourselves accountable to look at pay equity, to look at flexibility, Look at creating cultures of belonging, right? We know things that keep women in the workplace and help allow them to rise through the ranks. Um, So how are we doing that? How are we, you know, we do a lot of discussion around purpose-driven companies today and what does ESG look like? And, you know, how can we be the right kind of empathetic, supportive leaders um, to create those cultures that help both men and women thrive in our organizations? I love what you mentioned too about just the peer, like the peer support for each other, because it is lonely uh, out there in the C-suite. I I mean, that's one of the reasons that this title is called You Belong in the C-suite, because sometimes you just don't feel like you do. And so from my personal experience, I was in the C-suite at a membership organization and for leadership development. And I sometimes felt like you know, I didn't belong because I led it a different way. I'm an introvert. I show up differently than some of my, some of the other the folks at the time that were there and similarly different than the people that we serve because that, that organization, it was most, the members in that organization were mostly men because it mirrored more of the the statistics of what we just mentioned of the world. And so the membership mirrored that too. 
And so and I was in those rooms by myself too. And so the peer aspect, I just think is just so important. Yeah. I mean, look, there's been a lot of books around the confidence code, do women yep. have confidence, imposter syndrome, all those things. But I think what happens is that those of us, you're confident, you get up there and then you're surrounded, as you say, by a peer group that doesn't look like you. So having kind of a safe place, and I think member organizations like C200 give you a safe place to kind of sometimes ask the questions that you're not sure of, or if your company's you know, having a reputation issue or going through all kinds of, you know, bankruptcy, fundraising, whatever, it gives you the chance to, you know, have people that maybe have been through that before. And I think everyone, I suggest to a lot of women, um, no matter what level you're at, is to kind of find your own advisory board. And that can be men and women that you trust, that you can kind of ask what sometimes you think are the stupid questions and they can help you or be transparent. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, I've had been in my circle too. And I'll be like, come on, can you believe he was so condescending, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, what are you talking about? You know, and you realize maybe you're being too sensitive or, you know, you hear things differently than they do. And so pointing some of those things out can sometimes be helpful. But I think having those sounding boards and support systems that you create is really important that is going to be honest and give you that feedback throughout your career and allow you to ask those questions and also push you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I think you said that really well for support, but then also they're the ones that probably know you best and will push, push you in the direction and give you that hard feedback. And you'll probably be more willing to listen because it's based on trust. And I think sometimes you do the best work when you're a little out of your comfort zone, you're stretching yourself, right? We all are learning new things. I mean, to be in the C-suite, you have to be an avid learner. And I think a fearless listener and really take a lot of that feedback and Look at, you know, the competitive set, what's happening in the environment around you and how do you continue to evolve and modernize your business to be relevant? And that means not sitting on your laurels. It means, right, continually moving um, a business forward and the strategy forward. Are you in a new role or transitioning to a new role soon? Have you thought about how you will transition into your new role intentionally? How do you create boundaries to sustain your energy and prioritize the things that matter most to you? How would it feel to go into your new role feeling prepared with an intentional plan to prioritize the most important things and still have energy to tackle the things that will inevitably come your way? These are the kinds of things that leaders are working on in the catch crew. The Catch Crew is our community to build your career intentionally, whether that means transitioning into a new role, building or reinforcing your team culture, or planning your next role. When you join, you get instant access to career transition tools, including Values First, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, Values First. You'll get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. That's thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. We're having our next monthly catch up soon. Can't wait to see you there. Yeah. And I, I want to transition us kind of that, that idea of like growth and learning and all the things 
Um, but you also mentioned a bit ago too, that a lot of women are leaving the workforce and I'm wondering what you're, what you're seeing in your seat now. I know from my seat, I'm seeing, you know, higher levels of burnout for women, just, just taking on just so much and, um, not even realizing that they are in burnout until, you know, something big happens either health wise or, or something like that. And so I'm wondering, are you seeing similar things and, and what's your take on it? Well, I think COVID was very difficult for women, right? We were all working from home and it came even harder to separate home life and work life when you're, you know, I'm still sitting here in my, you know, house, my daughter was home from college for a semester. She's older. That I had the most empathy for women with young kids that were trying to juggle both. And so I think that we saw a lot of strain and a lot of women leave the workplace. And so what does that mean for companies and for women today dealing with burnout? I think, first of all, I always say, you know, there's a reason when you're on a plane, you put your own oxygen mask on first, is that women often don't take care of their own well-being. And whether that's, you know, for me, starting the day with a little yoga or meditation or getting outside and taking a walk and some fresh air is like, how do you ground yourself and make time during the day for yourself and your own well-being, which I know is difficult. Um, the other thing I look at is companies, you know, are they providing you the flexibility? I always said I never had work-life balance. I had work-life integration. And that meant, you know, you're, when you're work, you're all in, but you also have the time to make it to the kids, whatever it is, their birthday, the doctor, the dance recital, whatever you need to be at, you know, you have to integrate those things. And if you can do that and do those things in a way that make you feel like you're both a good mother, a good wife and a good, you know, CEO or whatever your role is in your company, right? That blend is what I think prevents burnout. But if you don't take the time to recharge and re-energize yourself, it's really hard and find ways to create that support system, to create delegation. And the other thing I always said to my people is never leave a vacation day on the table. And it's amazing to me, even in the U.S. with people with limited vacation, they don't take the time. And so I also always really say to people, plan, you know, if you have a couple of weeks, plan time every quarter so that you really get away, get some, you know, new perspective, re-energize yourself. But I know it's hard. We all get sucked into, we're indispensable. And I just feel like that's something that also we create our own cycle of burnout. Because we want to be indispensable, right? Because then we're, we're doing our job and we're valued. And I think a lot of the things that you mentioned, like, First and foremost, thanks for saying, take your vacation. Like, I mean, man, it's not uncommon that like, we're trying to cram it all in at the end of the year. Right. And as I was um, leaving my C-suite role, one of the team members, I, I led a global team and she was based in France. She said, she gave me the best compliment I've ever received from anybody in like a corporate setting. And she said, I'm going to miss you because you are the one of the only Americans I've ever seen take vacation like a European. <laughs> I thought that was like, I'm like, okay, yes, I am living like my, even in this, in a C-suite, I took my vacation. I modeled that for my team, <laughs> but, but not everybody does. And I think it's also like, do I have permission to, what will people think about me? Am I meeting my obligations? Like all the things, but like, 
Um, I love, she was like, I hope this doesn't come across bad. I was like, oh no, I love that. That's like the best compliment I've ever received because <laughs> it's modeling what I think is important, rest, family time, like all the, all the things. I'm trying not to be on email all day while you're away. For me, like I was just skiing for four days and being on the ski slopes is always great for me because you're not connected to your phone. You're outdoors. You have to concentrate on getting down the mountain, particularly I was skiing with people that love the black diamonds, whatever. And I'm like, all right, I got to keep up. I got to like, you know, stay focused. But that to me was such a good mental break. And you come back just feeling good. And, you know, you've been outdoors and exercising and new ideas and fresh thinking come to mind when you come back and you're rested and feeling energized again. And I think keeping yourself personally energized and dealing with your physical and mental well-being is just so critical. And I'm glad societally, I think we're dealing with it more. I think corporations are looking at people more holistically and providing more support than we have in the past. Um, But that's what it's going to take to get women back in the workforce and the numbers we need. They're going to need that flexibility. They're going to need that support from a corporation and that ability to have more of a sense of well-being and their ability to bring their full selves to work. You mentioned multiple facets, uh, whether you're a mother or a caregiver of any kind, um, a partner of any kind, an employee, a leader. So when we are taking time off, it might be even to be filling other roles, right? And so I love this idea of just constant renewal of yourself. And so you described like taking a yoga class. What is that time that we carve out? And instead of it being like, okay, I'm going to wait till my vacation to like rest. Cause by the time the vacation comes up, you might be exhausted anyway. Right. Or you're meeting the needs of all the people that you're taking care of. So what is that kind of constant renewal that you can have for yourself more in the, the daily kind of thing? Um, do you see leaders doing more of that? Is that harder as you continue to be in the C-suite? Do you see, I, I think I've seen both, like some that have very great boundaries and some that are just kind of all in CEO mode. What are, what are your thoughts? I mean, there are those that work 24 seven, but what I do find with a lot of C-suite level people is this concept of, you know, I'll call it the corporate athlete, which is a training concept if you've taken that right. And a lot is around, you know, physically, you know, stretching, exercising, making sure that you're in, you know, strong physically. Hydration is something they talk about a lot, right? If you're in some of these classes about staying hydrated and healthy eating and nutrition and, you know, when is your best time to work? Some people are really good early morning people, Some people thrive in the afternoon. So even working your schedule, understanding when your mental acuity is the strongest and put your toughest meetings at those points. But, you know, if you're a tough four o'clock in the afternoon person, don't put your hardest meeting where you need to think and brainstorm and beyond at that point. So, you know, it's also thinking about that ability to balance your own time and schedule I started, now I'm working from homeward, but sometimes I would do walking meetings with people and actually get outside and walk while we met. I meet my girlfriends on the weekends and we do walks, you know, um, we happen to be lucky enough to live near the Long Island Sound. We often catch up outdoors and exercising and things like that versus just sitting down and having a cocktail or a cup of coffee. So it's, you know, finding ways to do those things where you can actually socialize, exercise, you know, engage with people in new ways. So I think that we all have to find our own, you know, sometimes it's just out playing with your kids and being outdoors and kicking the soccer ball around, right? It 
it is finding your own outlets and ways to do that um, and support. And for me, the one thing too, that I'm like a big, the Peloton app, I don't even have a Peloton, but I do their stretching and yoga and bar classes and things like that. And I like it because if I have 20 minutes, I can go do it in the afternoon if I don't get to it in the morning or in the evening. So building that flexibility into your life to make it fit into your lifestyle. I think whether you're a gym person or a workout at home person, all those things are important. Do you find you know, some of the women that I coach to that are not in the C-suite yet, but have intentions and ambitions to be, they feel like I want that, but only on at this point, I don't know if I want to give up my soul to do it. Do you feel like we're still in this place? And I asked right after this question on purpose, because it's like, will I actually have the time to do those kinds of things that you just mentioned? especially if I'm still kind of in the middle of some of these big life things, maybe still with kids or caring for older parents or whatever, like, is that the life that I want? And can I have the life that I want and this big job at the same time? So I think, look, we're all, if you're in the middle management, you're working really hard already. And, you know, I raised two kids, um, and, you know, traveled the world and did a lot of things. And there were times when I felt guilt and, there were times when, you know, my husband became much more of the stay-at-home parent than I did. But what I can say is there's probably three things, three pieces of advice I would give. One is to build a great team around you, no matter what level you're at. Hire the best people you can um, and always think about, is your successor there? Because if you want to rise up, you need to groom your successors. And that, to me, was always great. I went on maternity once, came back and they were doing my job so well, I ended up getting promoted. I'm like, that was the best thing. I was just gone for eight weeks and come back. And they're like, oh, we got this, you know? So you got to have that security to be able to really build a team that you can lean on and delegate to if you want to be successful. The other thing is to really understand your own priorities around family and friends and you know, how you're going to balance your time. And sometimes that is going to mean when you're in that C-suite, you know, coming back and getting back on the computer at 10 o'clock at night because you went out or, you know, leaving in the afternoon and getting up at six in the morning to do things. So I can't say that, you know, we all don't work hard, but I think one of the things that COVID brought is this ability to work more flexibly in your own time and to balance and interfuse that time in ways that hopefully make it easier for women. It's not easy to be at the top. As you said, it's lonely, but I think that you can manage it and actually have a bit more control when you're in control of your time, if you're at that level, but it is building and supporting and leaning on others and trying not to do it all yourself. I really like what you just mentioned. I think the more we start doing it, even now, like if you're in that mid-level role, senior director, anywhere, manager, if you're in, in the workplace, you probably have a more autonomy than you think about your schedule. And what are those ways that you can put in boundaries now? Because I think more than ever, as you ascend in an organization, you need even more boundaries. Like that's how people are getting it done, right? Would, the, like, would you say, is that right? Boundaries. And I think it's the right support at work. You know, how do you divide chores with your spouse and your family and kids and you know, how do you get that support that you need in your household and the things that you're doing on both sides of your life? So you have to look at that in the workplace and in the home place 
to make sure that you, you know, are not responsible or overly, overly responsible for everything, but you have the right systems in place to help you. Yeah. I love the idea of systems, both at work and at home. And this idea of building that team around you, how did you learn how to do that? You know, I, I luckily had a, a husband who loved to cook and loved, you know, to do certain parts of the aspects. So I think we divided and conquered well. I was a big sister. Um, mm-hmm. to two, I think, you know, I used to joke that I was the bossy sister or whatever, but I think that served me well a little bit over time of figuring out. But the other thing, I mean, one of the things I do every Sunday is I look at my calendar and I cancel a lot of meetings that get on my calendar. And I think that that was something hard for me to learn was time management of what are the meetings you need to be in and where can you actually send someone on your team or you look and there's 30 people invited. You're like, am I going to add any value to that meeting? Let someone take notes and give you the notes. So I think a lot of it is really also being really critical of where you spend. Someone said to me, you vote with your time, time with your family, your time with your friends, your time at work, your time in meetings. And so I know that's that's like a Sunday ritual for me is to look at the week and kind of figure out, am I spending my time where I need to, where I can really add value? I really love that. And the women that I coach, I teach this idea of um, prioritizing your time based on your values. So like you're kind of voting with your values, you're voting, you're prioritizing with that. So I I, I love that so much. Yeah, it's definitely helpful. And, you know, as you said before, we all think we're irreplaceable, but the truth is if we spend our time and particularly as you get more senior in an organization, you know, trusting others, adding value where you can coaching, but not being present everywhere. Um, I often talk about, you know, when your children, if you have kids play soccer and everyone runs to the ball and when teams get really effective they learn to hold their positions and those that play defense and offense right they're playing very differently and so I think when you help people around you hold their positions and be accountable to what they're committed to then life tends to work much better (laughs) it's a lot easier yeah and then you trusting them to hold those positions right and you have to build that trust there's no doubt about it I'd love to hear your thoughts on just other things that we can do, not just for ourselves, but like almost as leaders, like our accountabilities at work. If you're aspiring to be in the C-suite, if you're already in the C-suite, what are some things that you are hoping that we do, or maybe not even hoping, but maybe we hold our, our ourselves, just like you said, hold your position. How can we hold our positions to bring more women and marginalized individuals through? How do we get that? And what is our responsibility? Um, Well, I think personally, and I think organizations like C200 and others, you know, we as women have to look back and help pull others up into the system. Um, And whether that, as we've talked about earlier, is getting helping and get financing and investment, helping them build the skills they need and the confidence they need to take on those senior roles, helping them build the support systems and networks that women need to be successful in those roles. And I think getting over some of our own guilt and reservations about those roles, because I do think that as you and I have talked about today, once you're in the C-suite, you have more control to set the stage and set the boundaries and set your time 
So I think that it doesn't mean that it's not going to be overwhelming some days and you're going to feel really stretched and we all do and you got to find time to breathe and, you know, as we've said, take that space. But I also think that the more women in powerful positions, the more we can help other women get into those positions. And when we look around in the boardrooms or we look around in the C-suite and it's more equitable, we know the data is there that business is going to be more successful that women are going to be treated more equally, paid more equally, and supported in a different way. And so I think, you know, all of our goal is to get to that point where, you know, whether the next generation and not five generations from now really feel the difference and the impact. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I've really appreciated learning more about your career, um, what you're doing specifically, and then just the advice and experience that you've shared today. Thank you. It was great to talk to you and a lot of fun. And I hope your listeners enjoy it as well. And what is the best way to connect with you or to learn more about your organization? I am on LinkedIn probably is the best way. And the good news is B-A-R-R-I. Rafferty, R-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y. I have on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, not many people spell Barry like I do. So it's pretty easy to find me. Well, wonderful. Well, we'll also put your connects in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us today, Barry. Great. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.